Welcome to Chatterbox Y21 podcast, brought to you by Clonagall Kildavan Veteran Players. My name is Carmel Gibson, and this podcast features Michael Healy Ray, TD for Kerry since 2011. In this interview, we hope to get some insight into the mind of a TD and how and what shapes them as politicians. In future podcasts, we will also meet other interesting individuals who will share their stories and lives with us. Hello, Michael. How are you today? Well, Michael, we're interviewing you here today in relation to your role as a politician in this country. Yes, that's right. Thank you. And, Michael, you're part of a political grouping that seeks to represent the interests of rural Ireland. Are the interests of the people of rural Ireland really any different from those of urban Ireland? We take, for instance, the major ones being health and housing. is on the eastern seaboard here in, in Carlow uh, and is part of the commuter belt of Dublin. Do you think, in your opinion, are there differences between the rural east and the rural west in this country? Not at all. Look, I mean, it's not, <coughs> we're not uh, South America. It's a small island nation. Yes. So we, we all have to try and get on. We all have to try and survive in the best way we can. So I don't know what part of my island you're from. Our climate is basically the same, yes. the language is basically the same, the food is basically the same. If we look at other countries, look at the amount of diverse cultures that are within that country and within that place. I mean, so look at the size of America. I mean, you could be burning in one part of it and you could be frozen in another part, you know. So Ireland is basically the same. Very good. Uh, and as a politician, what would you regard as the three guiding values or principles that you hold dear to your heart? Well, I suppose, first of all, and even that last conversation that I had there, it was an elderly gentleman, and one of the things he said to me was that, uh, that he appreciated the fact that I was pro-life, right? Yes. And I suppose, uh, you know, that would be one of the first fundamentals I'd be coming from. I am pro-life, I will be pro-life, I don't shove it down other people's throats, but that's the way I am. And what other guiding principles have you, Michael, that just being one? I suppose that, that being a politician to me is a very grounded affair. In other words, it's about trying to help people, it's about trying to do good for people, it's not about trying to advance myself. If I wanted to advance myself, I wouldn't be a politician at all because I concentrate on, on doing my own work. But I, I like being a public representative. I've always done it. I've always wanted to, to do it. So that, that's the other guiding light that I have. Every day you get up, help people. If you can't help them, don't hurt them. 
And would there be one final one then, Michael, that you feel epitomises you as a, a unique politician in Dáil Éireann? Completely and utterly devoted to the, to the electorate. Right. Very good. You mentioned there your faith, Michael, and pro-life. We would associate the two being together. Is your faith important to you? Well, again, it's not as though I'm a holy Joe or anything like that. It's just that the way I worded it is some politicians that were pro-life, they whip their finger, they put it up, and they felt which way the wind was going. And instead of leading and staying the way they were, they threw away their value because they believed that politically it wasn't going to be popular, that they weren't going to be on the winning side of yes. the referendum. So they abandoned what they believed in because they had always been pro-life. And when it came to voting and campaigning, they forgot about everything and they just thought of themselves their political careers and they decided that it, I'm out of here and they went uh, in for abortion. Okay, so you feel then that you would hold firm certain elements of belief that you don't sway with the kind of general consensus that you will hold firm if something is strong and deep and dear to you, but you will fight for that cause. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for everything. And I'm not falling for this. I believe that from the moment of conception to the moment of death, God is the boss. God brought you into the world. God will take it out of it when he thinks that the timing is right. And that's an interesting point there, Michael. Um, you have recently been um, appointed to the chair of a special Oireachtas committee looking into assisted dying in Ireland. And this comes after a justice committee examined dying and disability bill back in 2021. So where now... Do you stand in on this new committee as chair? Well, the first job I have is to be, uh, how would I say, very balanced in this, and that all the witnesses will come in, they'll be invited to make their submissions, they'll ask and answer questions, and uh, we have a job of work to do, and every one of us will have to act in accordance with what we think is right. And where are these people drawn from, Michael? All different aspects of life. They'll be from life experiences, they'll be from the medical world, they'll be from the health uh, side of our world. Uh, so a variety of uh, persons will be coming before the committee and have been doing so already and from around Europe and around the world. Oh, so you're seeking um, expertise from abroad as well? Everywhere. Okay. Michael, as independent uh, TDs in the Dáil as being one of them, do you really think that you can make a difference to a country as a whole or are they are you just really sitting and waiting to advance the interests of your own electoral 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 base and ensure your re-election? No, I always look at it that if you ha you have to have people that are willing and able to stand up and speak their minds and tell the truth and and speak up for the people and not be a yes man or a yes woman for uh, a political party. And I would look on myself as that, as a person who's there to represent people, not passing. And, uh, and that's what I'm trying to do. So for the good of the country and the people you represent. Correct. And given there's a lot of cynicism around politics, why did you become one? Because I always believed in it. I always believed in the power 
of local and national democracy. And uh, I just, I, I wanted to serve in politics. And, and that's what I'm doing. And I'll do it for as long as the people want to have me. Very good, Michael. The growing disengagement that the general public have with politics, and I think as years go on, it seems to be a greater divide. How do you see that being addressed? By people just doing their, their job, being straightforward to deal with, not going on the television or on the radio and saying, well, at this moment in time, it's under consideration. Not being like a government minister last week that was asked what is the definition of a, definition of a woman and the answer that government minister gave, if you go down in the history books of Irish politics, when she said, well, at the moment, the government are looking into this and we're trying to come up with a warning. So a straightforward question, what is your definition of a woman? And my goodness, she wasn't yet answered. A very disappointing aspect, of course. Yes, absolutely. Going on to a different level, Michael, are you worried about the emergence of artificial intelligence and the manipulation of culture by large, like the media platforms, which appear to be impossible to adequately regulate, not only in this country, but right around the globe? Well, you'd always be worried about that and about, we say, the massive super wealth of individuals and some of the toy projects that they could actually, you know, take on board. Uh, with that money. So you, you would be fearful, yes. And is the country or the, the political system here in a position to address it? Are they making strides in that general direction? To be honest, the present government, anyway, I wouldn't want to be relying on them for too much. And how do you they, see the political... They, they, they haven't uh, crowned themselves in glory so far. Okay. Uh, and do you feel that they do have the capacity or is there anybody within the ranks of the General Assembly in Dáil Éireann with that capability, do you think? Well, look, I would, you have to be hopeful always. In politics, you always have to be hopeful, you know. Okay. Our neighbours, the UK, how do you see our relationship with them developing over the next several years, considering the whole Brexit affair uh, and the development during the week of certain elements in Northern Ireland. Um, where do you see that relationship going over the next decade or two? We always have to be careful that they're our nearest neighbour. We have to work with them during uh, the negotiations for Brexit. Uh, I was chairman of the European Union Arachnus Committee at the time, so I had a lot of work in that regard at the time and uh, I have to admit I was very very worried because I mean they shot themselves in both foot, foot in both feet with that vote that they had at that time and the politicians that led them down that path my goodness it was probably one of the most unusual but look it's a democracy like I mean there was a vote it was a democratic vote and you have to respect that but my god dude you, you have to question the whole thing. It just didn't make sense, but there's no point in rewriting history, you know? No. They might actually vote to come back in again sometime. That's very true. I mean, they are in a lot of disarray over there at the moment, and, and certainly elements of the political system in the UK would, I'd say, reconsider that if the European Union were willing to listen and negotiate. 
In the context of our greater European uh, allegiances, can we or should we hold on to our neutrality? It has been very much in the public arena over the last number of weeks. Yes, we should, absolutely. That's just a definitive answer. There is no kind of grey no. area. Okay. No. If you were to advise somebody contemplating entering into politics, what would you say to them? I'd ask them, are they interested in their community for a start? Are they interested in their neighbours? Are they interested in their village, their town, their county, their country? And if the answer to all those questions is yes, well then, very, very much, always remember, politics is not the preserve of any one people or any one group of people. Or like I always say when I visit schools, you don't have to be from a certain family to be involved in politics, you know? And uh, I'd always hope that people would keep that in their minds, you know? You tweeted lately um, that you were happy with the Electoral Commission's um, decision not to break up the Kerry constituency. Yes. If you were there to find yourself on such a commission, what advice or direction would you be giving them? I'd say we have enough TDs at present, and I'd say don't be making any more changes. We're not a massive country. There's no need for more TDs. Let the people that are there perform and not more out of their day, get up earlier in the morning, keep going later at night, work seven days a week as a public representative, and we don't need any more politicians in the dark. You recently also, considering the various tragedies on our Irish roads, uh, were speaking about the uh, decreasing of the speed limits. Yes. Is this something that is achievable, not only in the political sense, but in the mindset of us as road users, do you think this can be effectively done with a positive result? It, I, I think it's absolutely crazy. Adding massive amounts of times onto people's journeys, we obviously, we're all, we, like no one person or group of people has a, uh, the only interest in road safety. I don't want to see any of our beautiful people dying on our roads, but there will always be accidents. And if we keep reducing the speed limit, what are we eventually going to do? Will we be driving along the road and be passed out by bicycles and saying, keep your distance from me in your motor car because I'd pass you out on my bicycle? Like, I mean, it just does not make sense what they're actually proposing at present. It's actually unsafe to be slowing people down to such a degree because they can create driver frustration. And do you think education is a key aspect to this mindset? I, I, I was recently speaking to a young person um, in the locality and we were talking about the very subject matter uh, and this person had said that they heard on a radio interview that a gentleman had been living, I think, or is residing in Switzerland and that their driving uh, test is a lot different than what we experience here in Ireland in that they are given a situation. They're brought to um, an airport, an old airport, and they're given like maybe wet road, windy conditions, surprising kind of elements where they have to stop their vehicle. Is this something we should consider as a nation with the road authority to, to, to kind of shake up the, the driving test? But like, this is what I have said. I said we should take motor cars into schools. There should be a car 
inside in the school to familiarise people with the workings of a car, how to change a wheel, how to check it for oil and water. Everybody is going to finish up using a car more than likely. And if they are, well, of course, if the Green Party would hope that they wouldn't, but we live in the real world, not their imaginary world. And uh, I think that the workings of a car is of paramount importance and students should be trained into that from an early age. Indeed. As you would speak there about the Green Party, what is your view on the Green Party and their policies? I would be very, very hopeful that after the next election they would have a minuscule amount of representation in Dalian. Okay. The same as what they got in the North. They got their political answer in the North. I hope they will get their political answer in the South. And do you see the election taking place next year, Michael? The general election? Don't know. Look, there's two choices. It'll either be the end of next year or the start of 2025. Michael, you're very fortunate to have your brother with you, Danny, in Dolairn. That relationship, is that a close relationship? Do you feel you work well as a team in the independent section of Dolairn? And, and how does it feel having that person by your side on a more or less constant basis every day in a working environment? Well, I suppose any time that you have somebody that you know working with you, there's uh, a lot of advantages to it. Um, and like we, we, we in the county of Kerry, uh, it's, it's good, like we're very good representatives on the council, what I would call the younger healer is, and that's very, very important. And uh, because it's good to, to, to work as a team and to have, uh, we call it advice from all sides, from younger and older, and uh, I just think that's good. And your family, Michael, um, your wife Eileen and your five children and obviously your numerous grandchildren, they are a very important aspect of you as a person and how you function as an individual and I'm sure as a politician. Yes, and, and very importantly as well as all of that, uh, it's a great advantage because this is what I always say, when you look at a politician, look at who's around him uh, or her. Like in the county of Kerry, I have people in every village, in every town, in every parish, uh, in every townland who help me, guide me and advise me. And those, and all of them might be over. And those people have been with you, I'm sure, right through your life. They have, and many of them were there in my father's time. Very good. And you have a very colourful and varied background, Michael, in that you've been a postmaster, I believe you're a farmer, you have a plant hire a business, a shop owner. And do you think that's shaped you as a character and helped you uh, immerse yourself into the greater knowledge of the community and what they require and want? Well, I'd like to think that the problems that everybody has every day, I have them as well myself. And when people come to me with a problem, I usually can say, yeah, I had that problem the other day myself. And uh, that is a help. And Michael, your father, was he the reason you entered politics? Did he leave you with a, an appetite to be a public representative and to represent the people of Kerry? Well, like I always say, which is an unusual thing to say, and God forgive me for saying it, but when I was in the National School and I hear that TD was dead in some past violent, I used to be delighted because it meant I had three weeks off at school going fighting the by-election with my father as he was predominantly asked to go to a lot of the by-election canvassing. And uh, I enjoyed all that, and I suppose it did give me a strong interest. I was my father's director of elections with a great team of people for his various uh, doll elections. And uh, I enjoyed that, and um, we just got on very good together.
there that I used to organize in constituency clinics. I used to do them for him when he was in Dublin, when he wasn't able to cover them, I was doing them for him. And uh, I was his eyes and ears in the constituency. And I was glad to do that job. And I, I, I'd like to think that, that I put a lot of effort into it. And was he a great teacher? Did he teach you yes. a lot about being a politician? Yes, yes absolutely. And do, and do you miss and him? I do, and there's things that he told me that to this day, it, it, they happen to me every day, and I think of his advice every day, and uh, having somebody like that was definitely terrible, terrible, terrible important. Absolutely. Michael, you, you, and people may not know this, you have some literary prowess in your background. You've written two publications, uh, A Time to Talk and A Listening Ear. And what prompted you, Michael, to put pen to paper? Quite simply because I was asked. Okay. And I said no, and I said no a good few times, and I eventually just, it was put to me that I should do it, and I decided, well, maybe I should. You, you say in the time to talk that it's neither a manifesto nor a memoir, but celebrates the power of talk to forge real human connection and sustain us. What do you mean by that? What I mean is, a lot of people, I believe there's great stories and everybody always gets them out of them. And it was a case of that's what I should do and I hope that I did it. And the two books actually went on to be bestsellers in Ireland. So somebody was interested in it anyway. And you say in the listening ear also that you are being a consummate chronicler of country life and the charm of local heroes. There are many local heroes in our, all our localities and, and uh, villages and towns. Could you maybe name or give us some insight to maybe a hero that you admired growing up or still admire as a, as a grown man? Well, I, I won't go into individuals because there are so many. Yes. But every day of the week, there are people that never cease to amaze me. And uh, I mean, I remember Michael, uh, Michael uh, O'Connor, he was a friend of mine, he died last year at the age of 108. And he used advice, he used talk to me, he used give me words of wisdom. And uh, people like that are so important. And you know, it's a privilege to leave them to meet people like that and be able to say that they were your friends. Michael, going back to your family, are your family following you? I believe some of them are following you into politics, that they're in the local Kerry kind of county council kind of situation. How yes. many are involved in the politics of Kerry at the moment? Well, there's a good few young Healyaries who are actually elected politicians and hopefully there will be more that might have a strong interest. And if they won't be politicians, they might be backers of politicians and that's very important as well, do you know? And would you give them every encouragement to follow you into the, the, the path of politics? I'd encourage anybody, would I, would I, but I wouldn't coerce or, you know, force any. If it's for you, it's for you, if it's, if it's not, it's not. I was at a meeting last night, Michael, and I happened to mention that I was doing a podcast with you today. And the person asked me, ask about the hat. What is the story with the hat? The hat is, well, if you think I wear a hat because of my father wore a hat, that is actually nonsense. I wear a hat because when I was going to school, I would wear a cap and I, I, I kept my head covered for a multitude of reasons. And uh, I suppose then it's a habit, but uh, that is, it's very, very straightforward. And I mean, on a day like today, it's sunny, so I've stopped my head of getting burnt. If it's wet, it keeps my head dry. And uh, it's just, it's a... Uh, I, I, there'd be more of a likelihood of me nearly going out the door without my trousers on than without my cap on. 
Very good. So it's just part and parcel of you. There's no huge significance as regards an elaborate story behind it. No, absolutely not. So Michael, in your tenure as politician, do you see yourself continuing to be representing Kerry for the next number of years? Have you any plans to to stop what you're doing? Or where do your future lie in politics? That is entirely up to the electorate. I'm completely and utterly devoted to doing what I'm doing and uh, as long as the people want me. But remember, if they don't want you, then say that it's time up and that's when you have to finish. And Michael, going back to the media, you know, both the traditional and the new media and the perceived bias of much of what is out there, do, do you feel the media can feed misinformation to us as the electorate when it comes to an election? Well, of course they can, but I would like to think that the media are getting fairer because in my time, uh, the media has uh, what I want us to and I'll be as polite as I can. They've told absolute blatant lies about me, for which they've had to apologise. Uh, uh, on a very rare occasion, I actually said, that's enough of that nonsense now, and I actually sued papers and uh, got money and gave it to local charities. I think that I don't go talking about a lot, but it happened. And uh, I think that they know now that when I started out, I put up with a lot of nonsense because people were trying to stereotype me and they were trying to, you know... How would I put this? They were, I don't know, they really just had a preconceived notion about me and it was a case that they could keep me up and down the road whatever way they like. And uh, and I have to be honest, you know, who was probably the biggest cause of that was myself because I took it. But I wouldn't take it now. And if I see a paper telling lies about me now, I won't let them get away with it. And I did in the past and I, I, I actually regret that. Okay, Michael. So... Going forward, Michael, and in time, you know, when we all may not be here, but looking back on your life, what would you like your legacy to have been? That I was very devoted to the people that I would call the electorate that I adore and cherish every one of them and their families. And that would be purely and simple in one sentence, that what you, you would like to have be said about you in time to come. Yes. Well, Michael, it has been a pleasure speaking to you today. I hope you don't mind me having called you Michael. I probably should have said deputy, no. so my apologies on that. Oh, yeah. That's and we wish you every success. We thank you for your time. We wish you every success in your continued career as a politician. We admire you as a politician, and we hope that you enjoy good health and uh, success in the campaigns or whatever they may be in the future in Dáil Éireann. And thank you again very much, Michael, for your time. Thanks very, very much. I appreciate your time, Mary Cameron. Thank you, Michael Healy Ray. Don't forget to look out for future community initiatives by the Clonigal Caldavan veteran players. Your support is always appreciated. If you wish to comment on what you have just heard, please email veteranplayersgroup at gmail.com. Veteranplayersgroup at gmail.com. Address can be found on Fortnightly Community Newsletter and our Facebook page.